Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online worship podcast. We welcome you to worship this week. I am Pastor John, and this week we are continuing the sermon series where we are focusing on the signs that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John. The series is is entitled, Revealed God at Work. Because when we look at these signs that Jesus performs, we can see truths about God's work that can help us witness God's work in our lives also. So we are looking at the feeding of the 5,000 from John 6 this week. And I invite you to join with us um, as we hear the word of God preached and then as we listen and sing along to some music. But before we dive into the word, we do have some announcements for you. So listen to these announcements and then the sermon will be right after. God bless you all and we hope you enjoy worship. Welcome to Stonebridge. Here are some announcements and things to know. During this time in the life of the church, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com. Click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can send in your offering through the mail. If you'd like offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. Ventura County is now in the orange tier, and more and more people are choosing to get vaccinated. Consequently, Stonebridge is entering the next phase towards reopening, which means we are now meeting weekly for worship. Join us outdoors on Saturday nights at 5.30 or indoors on Sunday mornings at 10.30. Kids and teen programming will all be available during both services. Pre-registration is still required. Please register by Fridays at noon. Stonebridge is preparing our campus to welcome back members, friends, and new guests. This means we are recruiting those who are ready and willing to serve as weekend greeters. If you're excited about worshiping again in person, your excitement can be contagious. Channel your excitement positively by signing up to be a worship service greeter by contacting the church office. Our Board of Deacons not only helps the needy in our community through monthly donations to the Samaritan Center, Sarah's House, and Action, they also provide confidential support, encouragement, and assistance to members of our church family. You're invited to support the caring work of our deacons by making a special offering on the first weekend of every month. Thank you so much for your generosity. And lastly, we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Please continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. Our scripture passage this week comes from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of God. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place. So they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, as we turn to your scriptures now, we ask that you would open them up to us. Through this story of the feeding of the 5,000, through this sign that you accomplished thousands of years ago, we ask that you would open us up to your work now. That by reflecting on this past work that you did, we would be able to see you at work now, to understand the truth about your work in our lives, what it means for us. Lord, we ask that you would open up our eyes to all of this. Speak to us now through this story and through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you think that you have heard a lot of sermons on the feeding of the 5,000, it's probably because you have. This is one of the most popular of Jesus' signs for preachers to preach on and for people to reflect on. One of the most popular of Jesus' miracles or deeds of wonder or power. It's not just random, though, that it's popular. I think it's popular for a very specific reason. Of all of the miracles that Jesus accomplishes, of all the deeds of power, the deeds of wonder that Jesus performs, of all the signs that Jesus performs, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only one that appears in all four of the Gospels. Now, I'm not including the resurrection there because that's not exactly a miracle that Jesus performs. That's more something that happens to Jesus, that God the Father does with Jesus. But of the miracles that Jesus performs with other people, this is the only one to appear in all four of the Gospels. So because of that, whatever Gospel you're in, whenever you're studying a Gospel, eventually you're going to come to the feeding of the 5,000. So it does get preached on pretty regularly. One of the things that I love when we have a story or a miracle or a parable that appears in multiple Gospels, one of the things that I love doing is comparing the different way the Gospel writers address that story or parable. Because the different Gospel writers, while they get the big picture truths the same, they all have the general story of Jesus enters into the world, he preaches the kingdom of God, He does works of wonder, he heals people, and then he goes to the cross and he dies and is resurrected. All the Gospels have all of that in common. So the big picture truths are all the same, but when you look at the Gospels really closely, when it comes to the details, you'll start to see little differences, at times even disagreements about certain details about what happened in the different stories. And the more you study the Gospels, the more you realize they're all approaching Jesus from a slightly different perspective. They all have different emphases. They're trying to reveal different truths to us about Jesus' character, about what God was doing in Jesus. So looking at the differences 
and the stories that the Gospels share, it can help bring out different truths that the specific Gospel is trying to teach us. So in the feeding of the 5,000, it's one of my favorite of Jesus's signs because we get all four Gospels giving us a different take on it. And sometimes these little differences, they, they don't matter all that much. There's, there's no change in theology and there's no deep truth to be learned. An, an example of this is uh, with the feeding of the 5,000 here. The question, who had the loaves of bread? If you ask Matthew who had the loaves of bread, it's the disciples. The disciples tell Jesus, we have only five loaves here and two fish. If you ask Mark, Mark has a similar answer. In, in Mark, Jesus asks the disciples, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And then when the disciples find out, they say to Jesus, five and two fish. Luke has it the same way. Um, Jesus says to the disciples, you give them something to eat in the face of the crowd standing there. And the disciples, they respond saying, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you ask the question, who has the loaves and the fish? The answer is the disciples do. They're the ones who supply that. Nobody else is mentioned there. But if you ask John, the way John recounts this is John says one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? It's a small little detail, and I don't think it really matters for the theology of this passage, but it does raise some questions for us. For instance, why did the other gospels leave out this boy who has the, the fish and the bread? And why does John include this detail? Why does John decide that this boy needs to be mentioned here? I mean, maybe the boy is actually John, the writer grown up now, who's saying, I deserve credit for this and wants to make sure he writes himself into the story here. I doubt that's the case, but it's a curious little detail that he includes. Right now, as I say that, though, uh, we all know that this boy's mother in heaven right now is telling us that boy doesn't get credit for that. That's a mother preparing him for the day's events. There's no other reason that a boy would have five loaves and two fish in that culture. So maybe it's the mother working, telling the Holy Spirit to work on the gospel of John and say, make sure that my boy gets credit for this. We, we don't know here. It's interesting, though, that John decides that this boy needs to be mentioned. So, like I said, this is just a, a fun, interesting little detail. I don't think it changes anything theologically for us, but sometimes... These little differences, they can emphasize something theologically. They can reveal a different truth to us, that the gospel writer is trying to point us to something that's a little deeper. And I think that actually does happen here in the feeding of the 5,000. And it happens, um, I think, in a couple of ways, but one primary way, primary way is with the distribution of the bread. The way the bread is handed out, there is a difference here amongst the four Gospels that I think is important. And again, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke all agree, and John disagrees. If you ask Matthew, who distributes the bread? Who, who hands it out to the people? Matthew will tell you that Jesus gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So the way it works in Matthew is Jesus takes the bread, 
He hands it to the disciples and then the disciples walk around and they pass it out to everybody. Jesus is not the one passing the bread out. He deputizes his disciples to do this. If you ask Mark, said that Jesus broke the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples and then the, the disciples, they set them before the people. So in this telling in Mark, the disciples don't walk around and give it to the people directly. They set it in front of the people. They place it there and then the people apparently walk up and come and get it. Luke is similar to Mark in that. That the disciples, they, they receive the bread from Jesus and then they set it before the crowd. But John stands on his own on this one. On, on this question of who distributed the bread, John is on his own. Because John says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So in the Gospel of John, it's Jesus who distributes the loaves to the people. Keep in mind, this is 5,000 people. This is not a small group. And in the Gospel of John, the way John tells it, Jesus is walking out amongst the people, handing them the bread directly. John is pulling us towards this picture of Jesus over and over again, handing out the bread. I don't think that it's just an accident. In fact, with all of the Gospels, there are very rarely any accidents. I mean, these gospel documents, the actual manuscripts that were passed down to us, they were recorded by scribes over and over and over again at a pretty costly process. Every single word cost money for the early Christians who wanted these manuscripts to be written and to be shared and to be passed down. So there's no accidents, I think, when it comes to the gospels. And John wants us to see Jesus there handing out this bread. It makes sense when you look at it more that John is trying to teach us something about who Jesus is and what God is doing in Jesus. Because there's other details that John has that the other Gospels leave out. For instance, John tells us that this feeding of the 5,000, it took place near the Passover. The Passover was a celebration of when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and into the desert. It began the Israelites' journey into the desert. So that actually is stated right there at the beginning of the story. The other Gospels leave that out. And then John follows up the feeding of the 5,000 with a lengthy speech from Jesus on the manna from heaven. Now, the manna from heaven, that's from Exodus 16. And in that story, it's another story of Israel in the desert. They are in the desert and they receive bread that falls from the sky daily. And it's their daily bread that sustains them and nourishes them and keeps them going. This episode with the manna in heaven, where they receive this bread from God that falls from the sky, it's one of Israel's most dependent moments on God. They will not survive without this food. The people of Israel wandering through the desert, they have nothing. They have no way of getting food, but God provides for them and it just highlights their dependence on God. It also highlights God's provision and it gives an indication of the relationship that Israel had with God and was meant to have with God. So when we look at the, the manna and the mention of the Passover and this dependence that Israel had on God, and then we see this picture of Jesus himself walking out directly distributing the bread to people that John paints for us, this picture of Jesus handing piece after piece after piece of bread out to 5,000 or so people. I think it hammers home for us a, a deep truth about God's work in the world. 
When God works in our lives, when God works in the lives of those around us, when God is at work in the world, and when we recognize that work, it highlights for us our dependence on God. God's work for us, it doesn't make us more independent. God's work in our lives, it makes us more dependent on God. The more God works, it makes known our dependence and it increases our dependence on God. Now, this idea of dependence and depending on things, it's not actually a very popular idea in our culture. I think we live in a nation and in a culture that has this mythology about independence. That independence is always the greatest thing. That being able to make whatever decisions we want to make, to have that freedom, to do whatever we want, free of external forces, that's the goal. That's the ideal. Sometimes, though, I think that we talk about independence, we talk about freedom, without really thinking about our actual lives and without really thinking too deeply about these concepts and these ideas. And sometimes I think we can overstate the importance of independence in our lives, and it becomes more of an abstract value or a slogan or a catchphrase, independence and freedom. They just become words that symbolize values rather than anything that's actually connected to our lives. Some of the times I see people talking about independence and talking about freedom, it reminds me of high schoolers I would work with when I was a youth pastor. It reminds me of myself in high school too, where all you want is to be independent of your parents. You don't want to have to follow rules anymore. You don't want to have to acknowledge any boundaries anymore. You just want independence. And then you graduate high school and you go to college and you think it's independent or you graduate high school and you go get a job and you, you move out of your parents' house and you think that you're independent now. But then you're dealing with roommates. You're dealing with housemates. You're dealing with bosses. You're dealing with professors and you're not exactly independent anymore or if you ever were. You thought you'd be independent, but really you're just trading one set of dependencies for another. And the more that you go through life, the more we develop relationships that actually limit our independence, that limit our freedom. And I think the more that we reflect on our actual lives, we realize we don't have all that much independence. It may not be all that it's cracked up to be because every time you enter into a relationship, you give up a bit of your freedom. Every time you enter into any sort of friendship or any sort of romantic relationship or enter into a marriage, you give up your independence in many ways. That's kind of how relationships just work. So we shouldn't be too surprised that in the face of a relationship with God, we are eventually asked to give up all of our independence. We don't have independence when it comes to God. And when it comes to Jesus, we are utterly and completely dependent on God and Jesus. In the same way the Israelites in the desert with the manna were utterly independent on Jesus and on God. And in the same way that that crowd there, when Jesus fed the 5,000 people, they were utterly dependent on Jesus to have food. They had nothing. And they were utterly dependent on Jesus passing this food out to them, walking around, passing it out to them, making it known to them that God's work, one thing that it does is it makes known to us our dependence on Jesus. 
And I think for us as Christians, this is an important truth for us to learn. That as we go through our life following Jesus, our lives are not meant to grab as much independence as we can. Our lives are not meant to fight for as much individual freedom as we can grab. Our lives are meant to reflect the dependence that we have on God. To reflect the truth that we have utterly given up all of our freedom to God. And that Jesus is truly our king. If you continue reading this story of the feeding of the 5,000, you realize that the crowd, their response is to try to make Jesus king. They have experienced what being dependent on Jesus is like, and they want more of that. For us as Christians, growing deeper in our relationship with God, experiencing the work of God in our lives, all that it serves to do is increase our dependence on Jesus to make us more in need of Jesus, and to chip away at our myths of independence in our own lives. And when we embrace that and we accept that, I think it really frees us up to love others well. When we embrace our dependence on God, it helps us to understand that, yes, whenever we enter into relationships, we give away a bit of our independence. We give away a bit of our freedom for the sake of the person that we're in relationship with. And the more we embrace that, the deeper our relationships become and the more able we are to serve others, to be connected to others. So, as we see God's work in our lives, may it increase our understanding of our dependence on Jesus. I've been focusing a lot on when the Gospels disagree and this question of who distributed the food. It is an area in which the four Gospels disagree. But sometimes what we can also see is that the Gospel writers, they are really telling us the same truth just in different ways. If you listened closely or if you go back and read the accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 closely, you'll notice that there's another detail in John that the other Gospels don't focus on as much. John tells us that when these people sit down, there was a lot of grass in the area. It's actually a, a kind of a random detail. Why would John include that? Well, the other areas in which the image of grass in the Gospel of John is brought up is when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. When he talks about shepherding the sheep, you have images of grass there. And you wouldn't be too out of line, I think, to draw a connection here to Jesus shepherding these people as he's feeding them, feeding the 5,000. And if you drew that connection, you'd realize that you're actually agreeing with the gospel of Mark also. The gospel of Mark says that when the feeding of the 5,000 began, Jesus looked upon the people and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The work of God in our lives it should always remind us that we are sheep, but that Jesus is our shepherd. And like sheep, we are utterly dependent on him for everything. This should humble us. This should increase our gratitude towards God. And it should make us aware of the fact that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, dependence isn't a bad thing. It's the goal. So as you see God's work in your life, 
may you become more aware of your dependence on God. May you rejoice in your dependence on God. And may you embrace the relationship that God invites us into. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
we are grateful that you have participated in worship with us through the podcast. And I hope that the music that you heard and the reflection on the scripture that you heard and the sermon that was preached here through this podcast, that it deepened your understanding of God's work in your life and that it helps you to understand that being dependent on Jesus is not just okay. It's what we strive for. It's what we as Christians long for. So as you go about wherever God may call you, may you go seeing God's work in your life. May you go understanding your dependence on God and may that dependence increase. May you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace and amen.